Hello, everybody. Kyle here, and you're listening to a new episode of the Chaos and Shadow podcast. I'm joined here by my co-host, Pagan. Pagan, how are you today? I am doing wonderful. How are you? I am doing very well. We are welcoming back two guests to our show, Tobias and Emily Whalen of the Singular Fortean Society, a website we reference quite regularly around here. Not only do they run the site, but they also actively investigate Mothman-related sightings, which, you know, we're in the middle of a segment there, or a little mini-series. So we're honored to have them uh, on back as guests in November. If you haven't caught that episode, check it out. But today, returning to talk to us about Tobias's book, The Lake Michigan Mothman. And towards the end, we'll be picking their brains about some recent UFO sightings and the such. So Emily and Tobias, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. How has your continued ongoing quarantine gone? Is everyone staying as sane as possible, taking care of the plants there? How- <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it real. Plants yeah. are mostly alive so we're, we're doing okay you know we've we've had some live investigations and experiment type stuff we've been able to do out of our home um, a lot of our investigations take place outside so it's been you know relatively easy to keep up with mm-hmm. those uh so yeah we've been we've been working around it okay glad to hear That's it wonderful yeah we've seen some of those pictures of some of the, the hiking and such so we want to want to ask you about those a, l- a little bit later but pagan would you like to go ahead and cue this up because i am eager to learn about this investigation on its own yes i would be happy to so i had the wonderful privilege of reading your book the lake michigan mothman and the book was absolutely wonderful and packed full of so many amazing reports For our listeners who are familiar with the Point Pleasant Mothman, but maybe new to the story of the Lake Michigan Mothman, can you tell us about this Mothman? Sure. Uh, You know, our involvement with this particular case started back in the spring of 2017 when we saw a a trio of uh, cases come through the Mutual UFO Network case management system. Uh, And they had published a a short article on their website about it. And so I saw it and we picked it up as a news story for the Singular Fortean Society. And, um, you know, like they were interesting enough cases. Uh, They basically described uh, a somewhat indistinct, large flying creature. Uh, I believe the witnesses were roughly split between using bat-like and uh, and bird-like descriptors, specifically an owl. Um, And so, you know, like that that was really interesting. There wasn't really much follow-up on those cases by MUFON. Um, And I later spoke to the the state director for uh, Illinois for uh, MUFON. And, and, you know, he, he straight up told me, like, they just, they really weren't able to communicate with the witnesses very well. All the communication that did happen was through email. And so, you know, I honestly didn't think there was, there was going to be much to these, frankly. I thought that, like, I would write a short article for our, uh, our uh, website about these weird, sort uh, seemingly one-off sightings, and that would be the end of it. But that's, you know, that's not what happened, right? So, Next thing you know, reports are coming in left, right, and center from uh, seemingly dozens of, of people uh, to UFO Clearinghouse to Lon Strickler over at Phantoms and Monsters, and then eventually to us once we started, you know, working with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's been interesting about it is now when I first started with this, like when 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 we first started investigating these. Uh, specifically, you know, around Lake Michigan. So you think like the Chicago area, but also Indiana and and Wisconsin. Um, you know, I, for the longest time, 
I didn't want to call this thing Mothman. I didn't want to use the word because I wanted to to remain as objective as possible and and really thoroughly examine these cases, you know, before just sort of jumping to that conclusion. Because you know how it is with with Mothman, of course, like it it's it, it's a popular phenomenon, and and I certainly didn't want to sensationalize anything. You know, so when I, I would write the articles at first, literally, and this was a little clunkier, but but it was accurate. I would refer to it as a, a flying humanoid or a, a winged humanoid. And that was it. And it was after investigating and reporting on these cases for, oh boy, Emily, how long do you think it took? A year, two years? <sighs> Probably closer to two, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Before finally looking at these and being like, okay, the the parallels between this and uh, what happened in Point Pleasant from sixty six to sixty seven and and frankly ongoing you know like the sightings down there never stopped um, it's it, the, the the parallels were just too much you know I, I had to admit like there there are some strong uh, correlations here and and everything I have points to there being some kind of of connection not that we know what that is. But, um, yeah, it, it, it certainly seems like a very similar, uh, if not precisely the same phenomenon mm-hmm. as, as, as what was happening in West Virginia. That's amazing. And that kind of also leads me into my next uh, question. In your book, there's a lot of different reports that kind of range in different mothmen, not mothman. Um, I don't know. What, I guess mothman is the plural <laughs> of that. Uh, ranging in different body type color and eye color. Do you believe that it's possible that there's actually more than one that happens to be in the area? Well, I, you know, I, I think that there are a variety of potential explanations. And so say when, when you look at say like uh, yellow as uh, in, in, in eye color for something like this. Um, now, some of the reports received from that area and, that, and by that area, I mean, throughout the, the, the Midwest, but specifically uh, around the, the great lakes, like Lake Michigan, um, they describe something that lacks any real paranormal element to it you know there's none of the high strangeness that so often comes from from the so many of the 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 more not credible but but potentially paranormal mothman sightings Mm -hmm. um because these these witnesses that i'm I'm going to be referring to here like they are very credible and and they certainly saw something they they couldn't explain but uh, about 40 percent of these cases can probably be explained by uh, a, a large bird frankly. Uh, probably in this case, something like a, a, a great blue heron. And so we have this profile of cases um, where they're largely uh, daytime sightings. Uh, they're just something big seen flying at, at a, a distance that the person couldn't identify. And, you know, sometimes they'll they'll report, uh, you know, hearing sort of a, a screeching sound. Um, and, uh, and, and, and there's everything about them at least as far as the circumstantial evidence is, is concerned, would would lead me to believe that those particular sightings probably represent something like a, a misidentified large bird. And it wasn't until 2018 that we had really good evidence to point to that conclusion for some of these sightings when a witness in uh, the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago 
actually was bicycling to work and he had a GoPro camera on his bicycle helmet. And he saw, as he was bicycling, these people standing on a street corner and there was, there was a man and a woman and the gentleman was pointing at something up in the sky. And so naturally he's curious and he looks up and he sees what he described to me later when I, I, I interviewed him as either a, a, like a giant bat or a man in a wingsuit, which is a fairly common description that we saw uh, among a lot of these witnesses. Mm-hmm. And he's got this GoPro you know, camera on his helmet, luckily. And so he heroically decides he's going to follow this thing around and get as much footage of it as he can. And he was very forthcoming with that footage. Uh, and he sent it to us. He sent us the SD card and everything. Uh, couldn't couldn't be more honest, really. Like certainly he had nothing to hide. And um and we were able to get a couple of good stills out of this footage. And um it was a bird. I mean it's absolutely 110% uh, a, a bird, but it was a big bird. Mm-hmm. You know, probably something like a great blue heron that can have up to a seven-foot wingspan. And so that really allowed us to solidify the the profile for what I believe to be misidentified bird sightings, which again, by my estimation, account for about 40% of of these sightings. Um, And so that was a really, really long way for me to get to the eye color. So when you talk about people, (laughs) right, I I love to, to take the long way around the barn whenever possible. And so when you talk about that variation in, in eye color, for instance, now yellow is the most common color uh, uh, eye color for like great blue herons, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, and what a lot of people don't know is great blue herons are actually now most of them or most people think of them as as diurnal. And and that, you know, that is largely true. I think they're most active at at. Uh, or during the the day, but their eyes are actually adapted to seeing in very low light conditions. So they will hunt at night. And so when you've got these uh, uh, sightings, you know, be they day or night, really, where somebody just saw something very briefly, maybe it was flying at a distance, uh, they didn't really get that good of a look at it, but it still scared the crap out of them. And they describe something like, like yellow eyes, well, that could easily be something like a a great blue heron. in those instances where they talk about like red eyes or something, well, you know, um, black crowned night herons are a thing and they're big around that area. And so they have red eyes. Now, I know that's a huge bummer, but remember, that's really maybe at most like 40% of the, the, the sightings total could be easily explained by that. A lot of them are a lot weirder and definitely can't be explained by something mm-hmm. like a, a misidentified bird. But, you know, it's important to be able to explain the ones we can um, because I, I really don't want to confuse all of this data. You know, like when you're trying to understand it, if you're conflating misidentified bird sightings with uh, legitimate Mothman sightings, you're, you're going to get a lot of really confused results. You know, you're not going to know what to make of any of it. Um, and so when it comes to the other variation, so within the seemingly paranormal sightings, you do have a, a, a weird variation in, in description. So that can run the gamut from... Uh, anything from like an emaciated uh, humanoid with bat wings 
to a large hairy humanoid with with leathery wings or we had somebody uh that we spoke to who described seeing uh something with uh like scaly skin and these huge black eyes um with with uh, membranous wings. Um, and we've had people who have described humanoids with uh, bird-like characteristics. So, um, you know, humanoids with bird-like wings. Uh, and that is, that's really interesting. So do I think that points to the the possibility that there are, you know, multiple types of, of entities at play? Um, sure. I mean, I, I think it's possible that it could be one thing appearing as many things or, or, you know, many things sharing certain similar characteristics. Um, the, the core, the core of the, the phenomena, or if they are separate of, of these phenomena, uh, does appear to be basically the same, no matter what though, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yes, that does make wonderful sense actually and it's it was really interesting getting to read all those different reports and how they all seemed uh, many of them seemed to line up in time wise in just slightly different areas with similar reports and that were very different in some ways but other ways they were also super similar it was just a super fascinating to read through all of it so yeah i commend you on gathering all of those reports and put them, putting them into a book. That was amazing. So speaking of the reports, out of all the reports and your investigations on this case, not all the other cases you guys have worked on, is there a specific report or investigation that really stands out that just, when you think of all of it, that's the one that really just kind of stands out in your mind? What do you think, Emily? I mean, we've had, well, we've, we've, we've had some doozies recently, actually. Yeah. What is like the Oregon, Wisconsin? Yeah, case? that one was a doozy. I always go back to Woodstock because, mm -hmm. um, I mean, for one thing, um, I'm newer to investigation than Tobias's. He did all that work with MUFON. So, like, this was real. I kind of, like, really was just getting into this because, I mean, we started in 2016. And, I mean, it's easy for me to say that Woodstock was, you know, one of my first like in-person investigations that I went on, I think what really stood out to me was how weird the, the case was. A guy is just driving to get milk down the road from where he lives, is driving back, and he sees a winged Bigfoot crossing the road. And I think, like, he didn't, I don't think he's ever experienced anything before. And he, I mean, we went and we met them, and they're so normal, and they were very concerned about, like, their public reputation, but they needed to get it out. And I think, you know, him getting it off his chest and just, you know, it happens to people that are all around us. And it doesn't matter what background you're from, but, like, it can really – I think that's the case that really hit home for me on why we do this. Because there's so many people that would try to have tried to open up about their experiences – and they've been ridiculed. It can ruin their lives. And mm -hmm. I think that experience really just kind of struck a chord with how strange it also was. It wasn't just like I saw a light in the sky. It was a winged but Bigfoot crossed the road while I was trying to get milk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just and, and we saw so many of those still see so many yeah. of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's literally just people going about their business and, and running face first into the impossible. And, and they don't see it coming. And after it happens, just like Emily said, I mean, they will like usually the first thing 
people will do is they will go to a loved one, uh, you know, it could be a close friend or a spouse, whatever, <clears throat> excuse me, and they will they'll tell them about their experience. And um, more often than not, that person will laugh at them. Yeah. And that can be really, really hard for a lot of people. And so sort of what we found uh, through doing this has been a lot of people coming out and uh, and reporting their sightings uh, could be weeks, months, years after they happened, because one, they didn't know that there was a place that, that they could actually report them. Uh, and, and the other part of that then, too, is that um, they were afraid to, to talk about it, uh, not because they necessarily thought anything would happen to them uh, from the phenomenon, although some people do have that concern, um, but because their first experience with it was being laughed at by somebody they really trusted. And uh, they, you know, they, until they could find a place where they felt safe talking about their experience, they were just prepared to keep it with themselves, you know, until the grave, unfortunately. And it was also interesting too, with this case, this was one of the ones we had like a um, kind of like a corresponding report, a connected report with it. And it was a police report. That's true. That was one of the few times uh, where we have struck gold with a, a FOIA request. Um, so in the, the Woodstock sighting, it was a little after we were down there investigating the, the first one. We had received an email from a gentleman who had said that he had been outside of, uh, do you remember where it was? It was the McHenry County Fairgrounds. Well, I know that, but like the name of the store or whatever. I think it was a CVS because it was literally the CVS across the street from the Walgreens. Okay. So which is pretty close to the, like the original sighting area. So this guy's standing outside of the, the CVS in the parking lot. And just like Emily said, like adjacent to this parking lot uh, is the McHenry County fairgrounds. And there's this big fence there, uh, this huge chain link fence that separates the parking lot from the, the fairgrounds. And uh, uh, he's standing out there and he says he sees this, this thing, you know, this, this hairy humanoid with these, these, uh, leathery membranous wings. And, uh, he says it, or he said that it, uh, I guess it looked at him and like yelled or screamed or something mm -hmm. and charged the fence. And so he gets scared and he calls 911 and this thing takes off. Um, and he, uh, he, you know, he called the, the, the police, but there really wasn't much for, for them to do which is pretty common and frankly, why a lot of people don't call the police. Um, and uh, so he relates all of this to us. And I was like, well, that's great. Like, can I, can I interview you? Cause I emailed, I, I emailed him back and can you get a copy of this police report? And he was like, yeah, sure. No problem. Uh, and I never heard from him again. So that was, you know, that was one that might've ended up in the, in the crank file, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, you know what, if he did call 911, um, that's something that should be public record. So I went ahead and uh, and submitted a FOIA request with the McHenry County uh, Sheriff's Department. And yeah, sure enough, a very polite, professional and fast uh, Sheriff's Department, by the way. I think it took him like three days to get back, yeah. to me, which is unprecedented. That's never happened. Before. Oh, God, no, I wish. Um, and uh, and so they yeah, they got back here. We're like, look, there was no official report done because nothing was really investigated, no crime was committed. Uh, but here is the incident detail report 
from the the nine one that resulted from the nine one one call and everything. And sure enough, I was able to to verify you know the the guy's story enough at least uh, in that it matched what he told the sheriff's deputy that you know arrived on scene. Um, and so we know that he at least called nine one one which was interesting. And there were a couple cases like that down there that uh, corroborated uh, the original sighting, but the original sighting, like Emily said, is, is strong enough in mm-hmm. our opinion to stand alone. It was just so interesting that all of this other stuff sort of came out of it as mm-hmm. well. That's really awesome. I couldn't agree more. It really is. And it also t- turns us into the, the questions that I, I have a bit more relating to the website too, because I've been noticing this trend. Uh, for, for those out there that have not visited the Singular Fortean Society website yet, you absolutely need to. Tobias and Emily do a fantastic job going over uh, these witness reports, getting as much detail as possible. And the one today covering a very recent UFO sighting from an airline pilot over New Mexico. That happened around uh, February 21st. You guys even submit those FOIA requests, which I think is a fantastic uh, level of detail uh, where possible in in trying to get to these stories. Uh, What I kind of want to know is, do you feel like people are coming forward with information a little bit more readily these days? I, in digging back over the years, we've had investigators creating their archives, but it seems like now more than ever, um, I don't know, maybe pilots seem to take this a little more seriously, or at least people are willing to come forward where they can. Well, I, I think that's part of it. Um, I think there are two things going on here. Uh, the first one being that we have an unprecedented level of access to information in the 21st century. So, you know, speaking specifically of the uh, uh, pilot report over New Mexico, you know, and that, that really was what that was. The, February 21st. Yeah, that was very recent. But now that pilot, he didn't exactly come forward. Like literally, um, it was uh, Steve Douglas happened to hear over like his scanner. So he basically he is somebody who likes to keep track of like different planes and he'll track like military flights and stuff as, as a hobby and an interest. And um, he had heard over one. He heard this report over one of his scanners and recorded it. Um and and that's what led to to it actually coming out, you know. And so I think that's a really good example of how, not like like never before, people have access to equipment that allows them to do that, and we have the ability to disseminate information so quickly and 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 so far, like geographically. You know, he puts this out on on the the internet on his blog, and it's worldwide in twelve hours. You know. Um, and so I think that's definitely a big part of it. And then I think that you, you know, you do make a really good point. And, and the other part of it is I think more people are taking it seriously that like who might have really even just a few years ago been afraid uh, to, to undermine their own credibility by talking about something like UFOs, you know, with the, the uh, New York Times article in 2017, and, and everybody finding out about ATIP and, uh, and and all of that, I do think that UFOs have sort of seen a resurgence of credibility in the the public eye since then. And, and I do think that you're seeing people like pilots, like military personnel, who uh, 
uh, might before have been afraid to talk about their own experiences or even take the or even be, be seen publicly taking this seriously, um, who are more than willing to now. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that that's part of it. I think that's a very interesting take on it because uh, I, Pegan and I have not been studying uh, the, the field as long and reporting on cases uh, to the the detail that that you two have with with the Singular Fourteen Society, you have a huge archive spanning way back with fantastic accounts. Uh, like I talked about a little earlier, the attention to detail really stands out, and I think you summarized that very well. That nowadays we have the ability to collect information from around the world. I, I want to say, not long ago, we were looking into some NICAP reports and and things of the that sort that time period. And they were dreaming of a day where there could be databases to the degree we, we have now uh, where you could take sightings and in fairly real time match them up. So when I look at your site, when I look at all of this and I see it and it's a comprehensive format, not only the, the book that we've been speaking about in this episode, but in your ongoing efforts and investigations, I, I really think this sets a great precedent for people out there in what can be done. Um, the FOIA requests are a thing people can do. Pagan and I are always telling people about uh, looking up birth certificates, death certificates, things of that nature. Because when you're, you're getting to these cases, um, you spoke very well about it with Pagan there too, people can easily misidentify things. And it's very easy for a small variation to turn into a big snowballing effect. So we very much appreciate that level of detail you put into your work. Yes. Now, well, thank you so much. Yeah. As we kind of get towards this this ending portion uh, of the interview, as we we start to wrap it up here, uh, I did want to know since it's been since November since we talked. Do you want to tell our audience what you two have been actually up to with the site? Any sort of changes going on? What can they look forward to if they go over there and poke around? Sure. So. Um... We always are very active with our community. We have a Patreon, which is um, patreon.com slash singular Fortian. Um, you can do anything from just, you know, kind of being a supporter. And, and we have Facebook groups that you can be in for $1. We have some, uh, we have an exclusive podcast. We do live investigations. We do videos and you can get that for um, 50 bucks. Or no, five bucks. <laughs> I was getting ahead of myself. And then starting at $10, we have levels of official membership. And that includes meetups, membership kits, um, a book club, and way more. So sure. well, that's also the like the live investigate live investigations and experiments, things right. like that. Uh, one other thing that we like to do um, when it comes to to people who who want to sort of be the uh, part of the the official uh, singular 40 and society membership is a lot of, uh, a lot of people who do that are very interested in investigation. And so we like to make ourselves available, um, as a resource in any mm -hmm. way we can, uh, be that advice, uh, helping people, you know, fine tune their, their witness interview questions, or really just track down cases in, in their area. Um, because we see this sort of a, a collaborative society, that's always been our, our dream, mm -hmm. where people can can support each other uh, in in this sort of shared goal of trying to further our our understanding of the the paranormal. So um, that's a lot of fun as far as the you know the actual Patreon. Um, you know, I, I'm working on our next book now, uh, Strange Tales from the Singular Forty and Society. So we're hoping to have that out this summer. Um, That'll be exciting. We do have appearances finally, 
or at least one scheduled yes. after the <laughs> after the uh, the the pandemic or post pandemic, which is what is that? Is that end of July? Yes, uh, weekend of July twenty fourth, I believe. Um, Haunted okay. America in Elkton, Illinois. It'll be our third time there. That sounds right. Okay, I think it's our third time there. So. We're looking forward to that. It's a really awesome conference that the community down in Alton, Illinois is unlike any other. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a conference put on by by uh, uh, Troy Taylor. And, uh, you know, a lot of people probably know who he is. If you, if you don't check him out, uh, you can find him on social media pretty easily. He's written about a million books. Yeah, on, I don't know how he does it. I, he, that guy is the Energizer Bunny of Paranormal Investigation. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, seriously, I think he's... I think he's published like 10 books wow. just over the pandemic. And, he always uh, says it's like, it's my last pandemic project. We're like, no, it's not. Yeah, right. I'm not holding my breath. But uh, yeah, so I mean, definitely check him out. But um, it is really a fantastic conference. So if you're anywhere near Alton, Illinois, um, at the end of July, you should definitely, definitely make it if you can. Um, we'll be there. I'm, I'll am i be speaking, uh, which will be fun. Mm-hmm. I always have a blast doing that. It's a great crowd. A lot of people interested in this stuff. Um, yeah. And so, like, that's, you know, that's something we're looking forward to because obviously we missed out on that last year. Um, mm-hmm. Then otherwise, as far as just, you know, keeping up with us or if you're interested in what we do, um, you know, uh, like we mentioned, pa- the Patreon is an option, but, you, you know, you can follow us on social media. We're on everything, Facebook. Twitter, uh, uh, Instagram, Tumblr, Tumblr. We have Facebook groups, a uh, public Facebook group that you can join as well. True. Um, <laughs> We're in there. I'm so, in there hanging out. Excellent. Hey, nice. <laughs> so yeah, we're always up to something and, uh, you know, we're really happy to still be investigating despite the pandemic. We've done a lot of work in the Southern Kettle Marine State Forest of Wisconsin, which is where we're from. Um, check, you know, there's a lot of high strangeness there. So we've been doing a lot of that as well. This is a, a great place to talk about this too. Um, c- cause I, I think we needed to kind of bring up the Patreon and talk that through to get to this stage, because I am super <laughs> curious if you would like to tease out some of these kind of experiments that you've been, you know, trying, what are, what are some of these things people might be able to look forward to? Uh, if they choose to get involved. Sure. So, I mean, as far as like live uh, investigations or investigations in general, like we just started doing live stuff that was by request. Um, And I had mixed feelings about it because I didn't want to compromise any investigation by having to worry about go like going live. But I feel like we've, we've sort of worked it out where it's, it's, it's fine. And it's, it's not really getting in the way. Um, And so, you know, some of the things we've done so far uh, as far as the live stuff is really going live in the middle of the kettle mm-hmm. when we were out there with uh, with Jay. And then the last time we were at Holy Hill, mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to go live. And so it's, you know, it, there's a, a layer of complication, I think, when it comes to trying to bring people with you on an investigation that's in the middle of nowhere. Um and so, you know, there like we'll ex- like occasionally you experience technical difficulties, but it it always works out. But I think what's so interesting about it is unlike, you know, say our last live experiment, which was also very interesting, but what but really just involved um, a, a, a brief magical ritual and then a, a spirit box se- a session in our home, the, the live investigations when, you know, we're out and about is you can really see what it's like to be out in the middle of the Kettle Moraine State Forest 
when it's completely dark out and mm-hmm. and see exactly what what we're seeing mm-hmm. you know um and i think that that there's something to that and people certainly seem to enjoy it live yeah um, you know and and it is fun to be able to bring people along and and have them sort of participate i remember when we just did our last live investigation we went out to holy hill which is a uh, a spot along the Ice Age Trail in uh, here in, in uh, Wisconsin, and it's known for uh, well all kinds of stuff. But like, yeah, people have reported, um, you know, like Dogman and uh, uh, little people, you know, you know, like one or two foot tall humanoids. Um, There's a road nearby in the same vicinity, like right down the road, that's called Hogsback Road, and that specific road has a lot of folklore around it too there's a goat man experience a hook man experience <laughs> right it's um and i think there was even a upright canoid uh like a dog man there as well so it's kind of interesting how like usually when we're exploring the kettle marine state forest we're in the southern unit with jay bachochen Mm-hmm. Check him out at pajabachochen.com, by the way. Um, and the Holy Hill area with the Ice Age Trail is in the northern Kettle Moraine. So it's very interesting to take people with us into two different areas of this same forest that has so much weirdness going on. It's interesting to compare notes and experiences. Um, I think this is kind of getting off track from the state forest, but during our last live investigation, which was at our home doing like, we were trying to talk to the entity that had, or the thing, the second to last one, the thing that's been um, kind of like trying to connect with Tobias his entire life. um, Our viewer, one of our viewers was experiencing some things on her end and she's in Texas. And that's something that is interesting that can happen as well. Right. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Bringing people into the uh, investigation, I think, is I mean, it's fruitful for us because, you know, we we like having other people um, who are able because like there have been times where people might be able to to even point something out to us on the the live video, like when something happens behind me and I, uh, you know, I don't see it like that's useful. Um, But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it really seems to be something that brings people in in a way that is interactive of course in a way that um you know just showing them a video later could could never be where they are a part of it at that point um and yeah emily's right like that is absolutely absolutely fascinating and if that is something that that people are interested in um i think that's a a pretty good way to do it Mm -hmm. frankly especially because we're all over the u.s i mean we've it'd be great to at some point do one with some other members in person. But while we have people in uh, Texas, California, out East, Georgia, all over the U S like it's right. a way to do this and connect. It is. It, it is a way for all of our, our disparate members to come together and actually be able to all investigate something at, at the same time in the same place, even if they can't be there in person. So that does work out. And we can compare notes about similar cases in the States. Like, is this something, is this the same thing? Is it similar? Like, it's just very interesting. Oh, sure. All over the place as to um, why this is such a cool thing and how well it works. That is super neat. I I love what you guys have going on over there. It's uh, it's it's something that is, I think, changing the scene. I, I really love you bringing people along for it, getting people in on the ride. Uh, I, I, 
think that's going to make a lot of great ripples going forward as as people are seeing so. <laughs> investigation done with like a very uh, a kind of ethical and and quality of just everything quality control i i just I'm, I'm excited to see where the future of this paranormal space goes and i'm just glad to have you guys yes. blazing that path for us so Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Well, it is it is an honor having you both come by. You know, the door is always open. We would love to have you back any chance we get. And I, I have a, a little thought for a future episode off of this one of, of how maybe a little talk about how people can get involved with ethical investigating, what that means when yeah. dealing with people and all kinds of different things. So uh, I, I know our audience would just adore that sort of content. So. Yes. Tobias, Emily, thank you both for your time. This was just a wonderful, wonderful chat. To the people in the audience listening, you need to look no further than the show notes to grab all of the links. Uh, and if you just need to quickly, you can go to singularfortian.com. But again, we'll have the links to the Twitter website, uh, Patreon. We'll throw that all in the notes. So folks will be mm-hmm. getting this on, uh, what's that, going to be Monday the 8th here of March. Yes kicking it off and uh, and bringing us to close to the conclusion of our very own Mothman segment. So thank you for talking about the ongoing investigations. Uh, we just adore your time. Thank you again for joining us. To yes, everybody, thank you guys. Everybody yeah, out there listening, you all stay safe and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.